So about five years ago, when Pastor Jeremy um, offered me the position of senior executive pastor, he didn't give me a whole lot of like never ever do's or threats, but there was one. And with fire in his one eye, he... (laughs) I'm blind in one eye. That's a joke. That's like a joke for someone who's disabled. That's not even funny. With fire in his one eye that sees everything, uh, he looked at me across the table and said, Talia, if there's one thing you are never allowed to do, it is to interrupt or surprise and take over any portion of my services. Never do it. Do you understand me? Never do it. Well, guess what? We just did it. And with the help of his beautiful wife and family, the deacon team, and the entire staff, we've been planning a surprise birthday celebration for you for a long time. There's way more to come throughout the day. But we could not pass up this opportunity of a 40th, you're older than me, by the way, 40th birthday, 40th birthday without giving all of us who he loves so much a chance to wish him a very happy birthday. Can we do that one more time? Let's give Pastor Jeremy a very big birthday celebration. We love you. We love you. I can't think of anyone more deserving. I can't think of any leader greater than the one that God has given us. We love you very much, very much. Thank you, Pastor Talia. And um, if if you're visiting today, um, sorry for all that. but, but I, I will say it, there's nothing like being loved by a family. And um, when you turn 40, there is this feeling of, uh, you know, people tease and it's a big number. Honestly, I, I couldn't imagine being in a better place. Um, my wife loves me, cares for me, values me, thinks I'm kind of, she thinks my tractor's sexy. <laughs> my kids bless me every single day and honor me. They can be brats, but for the most part, 87% of the time, they're incredible. Um, sometimes you, you drive me crazy, church. You drive me crazy, but, 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 you, but I love this church. Like I, I, This is what family feels like to me, and I couldn't imagine being in a greater place to launch into the next quarter of life and ministry with my family and with the kingdom of God at stake than right here in good old timber country of East Texas. And I believe the best is yet to come, and I want to grow old with you. I believe that, that the people that fill the, the first three rows at your funeral, they're the most important people in your life, and I know that a lot of those people are in this room. And that means a lot to me. Now, that funeral ain't coming for a while, so don't, don't get excited, but... but uh, on behalf of just Janet and I, and thank you, everybody, for honoring us today and, and for thinking enough to... I'm sorry my favorite things are that crappy. Like, like, like it would be nice if my favorite things... You get a car, you know. No, no Oprah birthday here, everybody. You get Coke Zero and like 99-cent tacos, okay? Like, like, lower your expectations on my favorite things. I'm sorry it ain't filet mignon, but uh, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit is what I've always been told. But, uh, but I'm going to have some good tacos today after, after church. In the meantime, I'm ready to jump into this part of uh, this series of messages we're calling Summer Cruise, which is all about different boats in the Bible and learning practical steps, practical handlebars for everyday living in these larger-than-life stories that happened around or on some boats. Today, we're going to talk about a shipwreck. 
It's a popular shipwreck in the Bible. And to jump into that, uh, how many of you think, uh, when you think of shipwrecks, you think of a very popular shipwreck that happened in the early 1900s on the way from England to New York City? Anybody know? I'll never let go, Jack. I'll never let go. She had enough room on that, on that door. I'll never let go, Jack. Rose, help me up. I never let go. Bye. <laughs> no, the Titanic is one of the most, most popular shipwrecks in world history. What you may not know that's a lesser known fact that, that uh, you know, obviously it sank on its maiden voyage. One of the mottos was the ship God couldn't sink. He's like, <laughs> okay. But a lot of people don't know the reality that the Titanic was not the only ship of its day uh, that size. In fact, there were uh, three identical boats. Um, one was the Titanic. One was the Olympic. And the other one was the Britannic. Uh, the Olympic was like the Toyota and the Titanic was the Lexus. Uh, the Olympic had been in service for a couple of years. Um, and the Britannic was also going to be a luxury liner. But it was actually commandeered by Her Majesty's service in World War I. And it became a floating hospital uh, for the Navy and everything going on across the sea. So all three of them were identical uh, in size. Each had a different uh, responsibility. Here's what's even crazier. All three of them suffered catastrophe at sea. Uh, the Olympic uh, had a collision and a 40-foot gash was put in its side before the Titanic sailed on its maiden voyage and it was put out of commission uh, for several months. Uh, the Titanic, we know, hit an iceberg halfway to New York and it sunk in, in the matter of, of, of hours and minutes. Uh, the Britannic, when it was taken by Her Majesty's service, it actually hit a landmine in World War I and it sunk in 40 minutes and many, many lives were lost. Here's an even lesser known fact. There was a girl. Her name was Violet Jessup. And she was actually on every one of those ships when they faced those catastrophes. Talk about like, you know, don't go play the slot machine, Violet. She has some bad luck. She was, on the, she was on the Olympic as a passenger when it hit and the 40-foot gash, she survived and escaped. She was on the Titanic as a stewardess. She became a waitress in one of the cafeterias there at the Titanic. She survived by getting on one of the lifeboats and one of the uh, passengers gave them her, their baby and she actually carried the baby on the lifeboat in the, on the Titanic. After that unbelievable, horrible, you know, the, the Olympic, they were, they were shipped, you know, had a crash, the Titanic. Titanic, it sank, and she was out to sea on a lifeboat for several days. Then she said, you know what, forget this. I'm not going to be a passenger anymore. I'm going to go get my nursing degree, and I'm going to become a nurse, and I'm just going to be on land, and I'm going to work in a hospital, until she got her assignment, and it was to be on the Britannic, the floating hospital. When that ship sunk, she got in another lifeboat, and that lifeboat, she had to jump overboard because that lifeboat was sucked into the propellers when it was up out of the water, and 40 people on her lifeboat were killed, and she survived to tell the story. You ought to listen to the History Channel. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting. Now, here's the spiritual lesson I want to give you from Violet Jessup. The spiritual lesson is this. If you're living in that day and you see Violet getting on an elevator, <laughs> take the stairs. All right? If, if she says, hey, you want to go bike riding, you're like, mm -hmm. We're good. We're good. 
You want to go on a cruise to Jamaica? You're like, <laughs> we're going to Branson, all right? <laughs> you know, Violet didn't have very good luck, but you know who else didn't have very good luck in life? The Apostle Paul. In fact, uh, as he's writing to the church of Corinth, he, he describes just a few of his interactions uh, by becoming a Christ follower and sharing the good news of Jesus in that province. Second uh, Corinthians 11 says it like this. From the Jews, five times, Paul says, I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and that's not like Colorado. That was stone stoned, okay? Three times I was shipwrecked. Three times, trace. A night and a day, 36 hours I have been in the deep. I was floating around in the deep waters without any hope for 36 hours. And, and, and here, when we go to this third shipwreck, let me give you the, the, the backstory of where Paul, he has a, a visitation from Jesus as he's going to Damascus to persecute Christians. On his way, Jesus stops him from his persecution of those Christians in Damascus, and he shows, he, he blinds him, he gives him not, he actually takes his eyesight, but he gives him insight. That's a beautiful thing about Jesus. Many people want Jesus to show us all a bunch of stuff, and, and, and what he's after is not about what you physically can see. He's actually wanting you to have faith, because you can't always see what you have to believe in. That's called faith, believing in what you can't see. And he gives Paul some faith. He's blind, but he gives him faith to have insight, not eyesight. And he connects him with, and, and, and he gives him a mission and he begins to go on this mission and he's, he turns a, a 180 and now he's after the message of Jesus versus trying to snuff it out by killing Christians. Aren't you so glad that God stopped something from coming your way when you were in Damascus and there was danger coming your way in your marriage or in your life or in your finances or your, 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 your relationships that God, there's stuff God has stopped in your life that you don't even know about. You don't even realize he stopped some stuff, that he pushed traffic back. And you're like, I can't believe we're in this traffic jam. Like he's pushed it all together and made it and he's protecting you from so many things. You'll never even know the side of eternity. Well, Paul begins to preach, and he has this dream to go beyond Ephesus, and he's going to go to Jerusalem. It's like the lion's mouth of Rome. Uh, it's not the lion's mouth of Roman occupation. And he's going to go into Jerusalem, he's going to share the good news, and he's arrested for sharing the news. He's almost stoned there in Jerusalem, and centurions have to take him and carry him up over their head like it's like some kind of uh, you know, crowd surfing situation he, they, to, to get him away from the crowd that's going to stone him to death. But then he gets imprisoned and inside that prison there in Jerusalem, there is a plot to assassinate Paul while he's behind bars. Somebody's shaping a spoon into a shiv and, and, and they're going to get him while he's, he's writing a book. And, and, and so the plot is foiled, it's found out about. And so they move him from Jerusalem to 120. 25 kilometers away to a little place by the sea called Caesarea. And it's there that he's in a different prison away from Jerusalem in the madhouse that was there. And for two years, he's not been convicted of anything. He's just been arrested. And for two years, he sits in prison awaiting his trial. It comes to the thought, it comes to the fact that a new governor comes into business in, in Jerusalem and they're going to kill him while he's there in Caesarea. So what Paul does is he plays the trump card. Anybody ever, ever played Rook and you get the Rook card? He plays the Trump card, and the Trump card is his Roman passport. Remember what Paul's name used to be? It used to be, and then later God changed his name to, actually God didn't change his name. Ha <laughs> ha, trick, pastor's joke. His name, he actually didn't have his name changed. He had both names. He was given both names because he had a Jewish mom and he had a Roman dad. 
And so his Jewish mom wanted him to have the name Saul. Why? Because the very first king of the Jews, his name was Saul. And so he was named after the first king. Well, the Roman dad said, well, I don't want, he's Roman too, just as much as he is Jewish. So I want him to have a name of a king too. So they named him Apollos, Apollo, and he went by Paul. And when it came that he was in a Jewish prison, he had no, no other shot but to lay down the law. And he had a Roman passport. He had Roman citizenship. And because that whole area was occupied by Rome, he threw down the trump card and said, no, 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 I'm not just Jewish. I am Roman. My dad was a, a Roman. And I demand to be seen by Caesar himself. And they had to obligate that demand because of Roman citizenship. And so that gets him out of prison onto a ship and they start a journey to they start a journey to to Rome. They start and they go to a couple of different ports and they get to a place called Fairhaven. And they're going to board a ship. It's an imperial grain ship. It's got 270 plus uh, passengers. The majority of them are prisoners. And it's also got grain because they're going to Rome. And what's happening in Rome? They need to be fed. They need grain, but they also want sport. And so those prisoners, guess what they're on the ship for? They're there to go to the Colosseum, to be, to be eaten by lions, to fight gladiators. And Paul, although he's on the ship, he's, got, he's not quite a prisoner's prisoner. He has a little bit of extra grace because he's allowed to bring on the ship with him two of his entourage, Aristarchus, which was his personal assistant, and then Luke. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, uh, a doctor, a physician, he's allowed to go on the ship with him. And so that's how we get this whole chapter of Acts chapter 27. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to drink from the fire hose of Scripture today. A lot of Scripture. Oh, man, a lot of Scripture. Yeah, you ought to read the Bible. It's really cool. It's, it's really interesting. And I want you to know, if you're here and you're a guest, you're here and you've been, it's been a while and you're back, I want you to know you're here for way more than just being here on Sunday. God has something tailored to fit for you as we begin to unpack the scripture today. So they're in Fairhaven. They've traveled a couple boats. They're in Fairhaven. This is where we pick up. Acts 27, verse 9. Now, when much time had been spent right there in Fairhaven, and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul had to talk to him. Paul advised everybody. Paul said, hey, mm, guys, hey, fellas, I perceive. He, he licked his finger and went like this. Hmm. He picked up some grass and went, you know, threw it in the, in the wind. This wasn't God talking. It was just kind of his whole hunch thing. He said, I perceive this voyage is going to end with disaster and much loss. Okay? Not only are the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. Now, this wasn't just Paul being kooky. This was a very interesting season, and they were in, they were in the end of sailing season. See, se se September was the beginning of crazy storm season. October, it became very dangerous to sail. And November was the time where it was deadly. It was a guarantee. You just don't sail in November. And where we find them is in the middle of October. How do we know that? Because the scripture we just read said it was the fast had just ended. And the fast in the Jewish calendar was Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur was placed at the beginning of October. And so because of the timing, Paul's not having a visitation of an angel yet. He's just saying, it just makes sense, everybody, to hold back before we go to Rome. But the centurion, Julius, who's over everything, 
He was orange. Just kidding. Orange Julius, that, that's a joke. Sorry. <laughs> Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. But that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Like, I don't want my kids to be more persuaded by, you know, the friend on Snapchat than their dad. Okay, and it just so happens that Paul's not a sailor. Okay, Paul is a preacher. Paul is is part of the Sanhedrin. Paul's a, an author. <laughs> he, he's not a sailor's man. He, he's, he's a blogger. Okay, he just writes stuff and he preaches. And so it makes more sense to listen to the helmsman and to the owner of the ship, doesn't it? But let me tell you something in the Bible. Conventional wisdom, many times people kept people from hearing from God. Many times, conventional wisdom, the majority speaking, was actually a disaster for them. In fact, because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, it wasn't their favorite place. It was like, we could either winter in Disneyland, or we could winter in, at Lake Tejas, okay? Like, what, what's the choice? What are we going to do, Lake Tejas or Disneyland? And Fairhaven was Lake Tejas for them. The majority advised to set sail from there also if by any means they could reach Phoenix, which was a harbor at Crete, opening toward the southwest and northwest in winter there. Here's what basically is happening here. Paul's saying, I don't have a good feeling about this. We're not only going to lose the cargo, we're going to lose our lives. And, and the men are like, we don't want to stay in Fairhaven. The whiskey ain't good. The weather ain't good. The women ain't good. Let's go to Phoenix. You know Arizona's better in, in the winter. That's not that Arizona. It's not that Phoenix. And so, so the, the, Paul's saying, don't, 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 don't. And the pirates and, and the sailors are saying, rum, 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 to Phoenix we must go. Yo ho, yo ho, Phoenix life for me. And sure enough, sure enough, Bible says, when the south wind... Blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire. Putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. Can I, can I say something to you that's a warning? I'm going to give you just a few between-the-lines thoughts, and then we're going to end with some titanic takeaways, okay? But let me just give this to you. Many times, if you follow your desires, your desires lie to you. Your emotions are liars on fire, Liars, liars, pants on fire. That's what your emotions are. Your emotions can lie to you. A cricket telling Pinocchio, always let your conscience be your guide. That cricket's a liar. Because sometimes your conscience hears the of the wind softly blowing and the, the, the horizon, the sun is rising over the water and you're like, let's go sailing, boys. And God's saying, uh-uh. Hold fast, wait, stop, hold steady, don't board that boat. Do not be deceived by the wind blowing softly through your hair or the wind blowing softly over that guy's lips, teenager girl. Careful. Because here they decided to sail close to Crete. And what happened? What does the next scripture say? But not long, after, not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Susie. No. Called Daryl. No. Called Blake. No. Called Tyler. No. Called Euroclidon. <laughs> Why don't we name our hurricanes better these days? Harvey? No. 
You're Oclidon. <laughs> this ain't no little pitter-patter going on. They're in hurricane season, everybody. And tempestuous, do you know what the Latin, the Latin in Greek, in tempestuous, you know what? It means typhonia. Do you, do you recognize the word typhonia? Typhoon. Typhoid fever. Like, like bad things come from tempestuous stuff. And they are in the thick of it. So, when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, <laughs> we let her drive. Now, that's not like a, a, a woman on the ship, because that would be dangerous too. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No. That's how, oh, get over it. <laughs> Hashtag politically correct. We let her drive. We let the ship do its own thing. In fact, the, the guy at, at the, at, at, holding the steering wheel had to go, and they just, they just let the rudder go. They couldn't hold it anyway. They were going to break it. So they just had to let the ship do what the wind says it was going to do. Boy, that's not good when you let the boat drive. It's not good when you just let your life drive. I don't know. We'll just see what happens. Let's just go for it. I'm just going to throw caution to the wind. Who knows? And let's just, let's just get out there and just live life. Let's just have fun. Let's just see, you know, mom and dad saying, I don't know if you ought to go that way. I don't, you don't, you're like, let me live my life. You don't even know, Mom. Let me live my life. I'm just letting my life steer. Yeah, get ready. Get ready. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. The skiff is a, is a little lifeboat that's connected by a rope at the back of, of the boat. And it was for emergencies. If they had to abandon ship, they would take on the skiff. And so they were going to lose the skiff by, by the tossing tempestuous waves. So they had to bring the skiff on in the middle of this storm, bring the skiff onto the lifeboat, onto the actual boat. And, and, and the Bible says they had taken it on board. They used cables to undergird the ship because it, it wasn't like pieced together. It was, it was slatted together. It was almost like laying hardwood floor and they just pieced together. There, there wasn't uh, the kind of screws that we we have together and the kind of bolts that would hold things in place like we have today. It was pieced together tightly so they had to cable everything and tighten that thing up for dear life. They put a belt around the boat basically. And they were afraid they were going to run aground on the Sirtis Sands. They struck sail and they were just driven out of there. You know what Sirtis Sands means in, in Hebrew? Boat graveyard. That's where you go when you let your life drive. When you just let go, just, just be careful because it's going to lead to tough places. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, typhoon-thrown, the next day they ended up lightening the ship. On the third day we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Here's another thing between the lines. In a storm, money don't matter. When you're bailing water and you're fighting for your life, the things that you have thought are so important in life that you're going to give so much of your 168 hours a week to, many times those things don't seem near as important when you're having to fight, when you're storm-tossed, when your Oclidon is breathing down your neck financially, relationally, maritally. You, you've got these things that we don't pay attention to because we're paying attention to other stuff. And then when the storms of life brew, listen, money don't matter in a storm. 
They're willing to throw whatever overboard in order to lighten themselves, in order to go further, faster. They got to get rid of some stuff. Can I tell you, it's what Hebrews 12 says. It says, let us let, let, us let loose of everything that hinders us. Let, let's take off. Let's, 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 let's pull off the, the extra sweatshirt that, that's holding us back from running the race that God's called us to run. Let's run with perseverance and you can't do it while you're running with a bunch of chains, a bunch of bondage, a bunch of stuff that you've been hanging on to. And I want to say that you hear to hear me say that God wants to say to you, it's time to let some go, go with some stuff. It's, it's time to let some things go and trust God and, and hang on to see how God wants to drive your life. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, why is that important? Because that's their GPS. There, there is no, you know, Google Maps. Hey, Siri, nothing. If they don't see the sun, they don't know. They don't have the North Star. They don't got, you know, the dipper, the little one or the big one. And it's dark and it's cloudy and they're tempest tossed. And there's no small tempest beat on us. In other words, it was the big old tempest that were beating on us. There were no little light showers. It was all crazy. It was all Euroclidon. <laughs> Siri. Siri answered me as soon as I said Siri. That's funny. <laughs> Siri, how's this message going? Long, she said. <laughs> All hope that we would be saved was finally given up. All hope that we'd be saved. Can I remind you who's writing this? Luke, the author of the gospel of Luke, who walked with Jesus, who's now walking with Paul, who's seen many, many miracles. Paul, who's seen many, many miracles and has shared and declared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Luke is writing, all hope is lost. We might as well just give it up. We were given up here. And he's like rolling it up and he's putting it inside the bottle and he's putting the cork on it. And Paul sees him throw something overboard and Paul's like, what are you doing? He's like, dude, it's over. It's over. Can I say something to you that's a real encouragement to me? Even the giants of faith have hopeless moments. Like just because you have a hopeless moment in your life doesn't mean it's time to throw it in, time to give it up, time to just say, well, where was Jesus? Even the giants of faith, they show us in the Bible this because you're going to have hopeless moments too. And you're going to have times where the marriage is tough. And you're going to have times where that, that addiction is, is run. You, you're, you, are, you are ran by an addiction. You are a slave to something in your life. And you feel hopeless. I want you to know even giants of faith had hopeless moments. And it's not too late for you to not put your hope in horses or chariots or that next big promotion. But to put your hope in Jesus. Because that's what we see happen. After long abstinence from food, Paul stood in the midst of them. <laughs> and, and, I, and I love what Paul says next. I, I love, Paul gets up and everybody's, they've been, temp they, they are, it's bad hair day. They are tired. They have been abstaining from food. So you know what? They are hangry. Hangry. Need a Snickers stat. And they're all standing there around figuring out what's going to happen next. And Paul gets up in the middle of them on the, on the starboard bow. And here's what he says. <laughs> I love it. Men, you should have listened to me. <laughs> it's like, okay, dad. You should have listened to me. <laughs> and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. Isn't it a wonderful moment to say, I told you so. <laughs> you know. 
But he doesn't stop there. He, he, he yes, he kind of spanks him with a little belt there. He kind of pop, you know, you should have listened. You should have. You should have done it this way. You should have. But, but now, but now, I urge you, take heart. Don't worry. Hang in. There's not going to be any loss of life among you. Oh, but we will lose the ship like that. I, I love that. Oh, we're going to lose the ship, but take heart. Make up your mind, Polly. But he doesn't just, he's not just giving them a pep talk like it's halftime of the Euroclidon. It's not a pep talk. This is a God moment because the scripture goes on to say, and here's why. Because there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. Can I tell you something? God cannot just be a neat idea in the middle of your trouble. When, when, you're, when you get in a storm and all God's been is the big man upstairs, I know thinking there is a God may be better than believing there is no God, but that's, not gonna, that's honestly not going to help you. Because God can't just be a thought, an ideology, a philosophy, because a philosophy doesn't put its arms around you. But the God I serve, his name is Jesus, and he will comfort those that need help. He, he, he has a spirit that he places inside of us at salvation, the spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit that can live inside of us and, and activate us from the inside out. And so the idea of God doesn't save anybody, but the God you believe in, the God that you serve, and that's the kind of God that wants to visit you on the night of your deepest, darkest, craziest, tempest-tossed storms. You're responding worse than I'm preaching. I'm preaching better. If you will just respond 27% better, I'll, I'll preach faster, okay? Here we go. The God who I belong and whom I serve, and here's what he said. Don't be afraid, Paul. Even Paul was afraid. Don't be afraid. Why does he tell him not to be afraid? Because Paul was afraid. Don't be afraid. You must be brought before Caesar. Not only are you going to go to Rome, I'm going to place you in front of the strongest, most influential authority on the planet that's in the flesh. And indeed, God has granted you all those who will sail with you. I'm going to make it to Caesar, and so are you. So, take heart, men. For I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. That's the good news. If God's told you something and you haven't gotten there yet and you feel like it's a detour and you feel like in your story, if God told you something and you know that you know that you know that it's God and it's not your imagination running wild, I'm here to tell you it will be fulfilled. God will not be stopped. You can take it to the bank. You can take heart. The God that spoke you'll be spared is the God that will lead you to be spared. That is the good news. The bad news. The bad news. Paul says. However, we must run aground on a certain island. We're going to shipwreck. We're going we're to be stranded. We're going lost here. Okay, everybody? So we're going to take heart, but we're going to actually lose the ship. <laughs> so there is good and bad. The scripture goes on. After that hoorah, Rudy locker room moment, now when the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, can I pause there and just say, just because you hear from God doesn't mean there will be no more ups and downs. Like following God does not give you smooth sailing. Following God gives you an anchor in the storm. Following God gives you trust in the middle of the despair that you're not leaning on your own understanding but on your, all your ways you're yielding to him and he makes it possible for you to get to the next place. So ups and downs are a part of life, the Christian life and the pagan life. 
About midnight, the sailors sensed there was a, then they had their, uh-oh, mm, I'm feeling sky is red, pirates dread, I don't know, whatever. They, they say something, and they were drawing near some land. And they took soundings. They took some measurements and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they found soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. Then, fearing they were going to run aground on the rocks because it was getting so shallow so fast, they dropped four anchors from the stern, from the back of the boat, and they prayed for day to come. They, they, they went NASCAR drag racing, and they threw the parachutes in the back, you know, the anchors. They threw them back, and they were just hoping that sucker would slow down so they wouldn't hit those rocks at the nearby harbor full force from these crazy crashing waves. And so, in an attempt to escape from the ships, in the middle of all this, they're praying, some of the sailors, here's what they do. In an attempt to, 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 to get away, to escape, the sailors, they, they let the skiff down into the sea, pretending they were actually lowering some anchors from the front of the boat, the prow, the bow of the boat, where Jack and Rose were. That, that's where they were. The, they wanted to let down. So they say, hey, we got some anchors over here too. You do? I didn't know we had anchors over there. Oh, yeah, they're in the prow. We're going to go get them. And they're like lowering the skiff. They're lowering the lifeboat. They're like, let's, let's go, Brad. I'm, I'm coming, Keith. Let's do it. <laughs> I love those Bible names. <laughs> Paul said to the centurion, see, Paul noticed this as a prisoner. He noticed what was going on. And Paul said to Julius, he said, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. You, you, you can't figure it out on your own. Then the soldiers went over and they cut away the ropes of the skiff and they let it fall off. You know, what ha you know what this means? There was no second plan. There was no plan B. There was no, what if this doesn't happen? At least we got the lifeboat. They cut the cord to the second chance because they were all in on the boat. You know what this shows me? God's plan of salvation, everybody, is very specific. There is no plan B. And I want to I challenge some of you that maybe you've got just enough God, but you're also hanging on to your own ideas. You, 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 you kind of like the idea and the theory of, of a God and the cosmos and maybe, maybe not. But you also kind of, you got your own ways of, of doing spirituality. And I want to say to you, if, according to the word of God, there is no other way. There is no skiff. There is no different boat. There's one way and one way only, and it's through the wonderful name, beautiful name, powerful name of Jesus. And our wages that we earn from this life of sin, what we earn is death. But the gift that God gives, he doesn't give it to you in multiple forms. He gives it to you through one, and it's through his son and what he did on the cross. Not what you could ever do, but what Jesus has done on the cross. He took your place of execution to take on sin, be executed, be sacrificed for your sin. And I want to say something to you. Hell, despite popular opinion these days, it's a real place. And it's, and it's, not, and it's not just uh, God wanting to punish bad people. It's the place where people that want to be separated from God on this earth can be separated from God on the other side of eternity. If you don't want to be with God here, what makes you think God is going to force you to be with him in eternity? So he says, hey, you're going to get exactly what you want. If you want to stay separated from me here, stay, you're going to stay separated from me there. If you want to be with me here, you're going to be with me there. Heaven's real. And what makes heaven? Heaven is not pearly gates. Jesus' presence is what makes heaven heaven. Jesus' presence is what makes salvation salvation. 
And I just want to invite you, do not, do not forget Christ follower. Heaven's a reality. Heaven's reality. And until, and until heaven is full, we got to keep praying for our friends. we got to keep loving on people that are far from God. Because, because hell's real too. And Paul says, hey, hey, there's no other way out of here. There's one, play, there's one way we get saved. And so, as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all. Before they, they're, they're still in the middle of this craziness. He says, guys, you got to take some food. You got to eat something. He like goes, goes grandma. Well, have you eaten anything here? Have a, have a, taco, a taco, casa taco after church. Today's the 14th day. You've waited and continued without food and you've eaten nothing. Why? Because they're trying to ration. They're trying to hang on. What if they do get shipwrecked? What if they're out in the middle of nowhere and the storm dies down, but then they have nothing to eat? They don't want to die of starvation and, and, and simply uh, not have anything to eat. So they've been holding on. And he's saying, no, 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 we're going to be too weak. So therefore, I urge you to take nourishment for, for this is for your survival since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. He doesn't want them to make it through the shipwreck only just to die of starvation. And can I say something to you? Here's, here's when you need to be eating of the bread of life. It's not when you're in the middle of the storm or you're shipwrecked in your marriage. The time to eat eating of the bread of life, the time to be making church a priority is not when the wheels have gone into the ditch. Although if, if that's, that's an okay time too. If that's you, I'm glad you're here. But the best time is before the wheels are in the ditch. Before the ship goes up onto the rocks and everything splinters, you've got to get the bread of life. You know, this week we start 21 days of prayer and fasting. Prayer. In January we do prayer and fasting. In August we do prayer and feasting. (laughs) So we don't don't make you fast in August. Bless God. Praise God. Give us those tacos. But we do do 21 days of prayer. And in the season we're in, it is critical that we be praying, 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 and heating up, the, the, turning the thermostat up in prayer at Timber Creek Church. This coming Wednesday night will be the first of three worship and prayer nights. They, they are greatly attended. I'm invited. Listen, I, you don't, I don't need you to serve on a dream team. You need to serve on a dream team because there are promises of God that come when you serve and you look beyond yourself and you have a servant's heart. That's for you. You get blessings when you serve. When, when Jesus fed the 5,000 on the hillside, those disciples served. They were tired. They were hungry and they served. And I have heard this so many times. I'm just so busy. I don't have time to serve. You, you are too busy not to serve. Because here's what happens. You know what happens to the disciples that are tired and they don't have time and they got two kids at home and you know how the job is and, you know, on the weekend is all I have and I just want to stay home and watch ESPN and then I got to iron the clothes and I got to mow the backyard. The disciples were tired and they had their own lawns to mow and they had their own stuff to do and they had their own families to get back to. But guess what? Because they served each one of those families, each one of those disciples, guess what they took home from that day? A basket full of food. Everybody else that was serving got, got a handful. Everybody else that was on the hillside eating, they just got a handful. They got a meal. The disciples got groceries. When you serve, it provides for you supernaturally, I'm telling you. So if you are here and you've not gone through starting point, if you're here and you've gone through starting point and you're not serving anywhere, maybe it's our fault. Maybe we haven't connected you. And we need to apologize and ask for your forgiveness. And you know what? Hey, guess what, Duncan and Dieball? We're starting at the Dieball unit, but we're coming your way. 
We're going to find more and more ways for, for our, our inmates there at Dieball to serve through Starting Point and Grow Track. And Duncan is coming your way too. We're not there yet. We're starting and we're going to grow. But there's a place you can serve right there on Wednesday nights as well. But here's what I'm trying to say with all of that. What's your point, Pastor? I don't know. Let me figure it out. Here's what I'm saying. I may not need you to serve. You need to serve because that's what God does for you as a Christ follower. But here's what I do need. I need you to pray. I can't pray enough prayers over this church by myself. I need the Spirit of God praying through you prayers for this church. And Wednesday night at 7 p.m., I would rather, honestly, I'd rather you come to Wednesday night, 7 p.m., this coming Wednesday night, than come Sunday, August 11th. I'm on pre, and you ought to be here August 11th. You ought to serve and whatever. But I'm saying you need to come here and learn how to pray if you're not praying. And if you say, I just don't know how to pray, we're going to help you. And it's not going to be, it's not pulling teeth. It's easy. It's painless. Trust me, you're going to need it. And I believe you're going to walk out being energized for this new school year, mom and dad. You're going to be energized for what's next, employee, employer. You need to spend this time in this season as we start a new semester of 2019. You've got to be praying. And I need you here filling this room with prayer. And if we get the campus up and running, which it looks like we will, on August 21, the third Wednesday of Closer Worship Nights. We're going to shut this campus down, and we're going to have our very first service. It's going to be a prayer and worship service at the Nacogdoches location, and you're all invited. Bring your kids. Bring, tell your husbands. Tell your wives. we just going to have prayer all up in there. <laughs> I got to move. When he had said, not move, but just move on. Yep. When he said these things, he took bread and he gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. <laughs> then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. <laughs> don't underestimate a little prayer. And don't underestimate the effect it has on people that see you pray. Don't underestimate the, 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 the effect and influence it has when, when the kids, yeah, they see your, your dark side too. But you got to show them that, that you pray. Mom and dad, pray over your meals. Not, not because you're afraid you're going to choke on your steak. Oh, we didn't bless the food. It's really, honestly, it's not about blessing the food. It's about putting Jesus first. It's about saying, God, everything I have is yours. You're, you're all we need. And just take a moment. And I, I'm running short on time, but I, I want to tell you, there's a little trick when you go out to eat. It's not even a trick. It's just a tool. It's a tool. Many, many times. It's not 100% of the time, but many times. When I go to eat and the server comes up, I'll say, we're going to pray in a minute when you leave. Because I don't want them to feel like, hey, would you, hand my, would you grab my hand and bow your head in prayer? And let's just offer thanks. Like, don't put them in a weird, goofy position. But I say, hey, in a minute, when, when, when you leave, we're going to pray over our meal. When we do, is there anything we could pray for your family or you about? And then shut up. Because bless God, I want to tell you in the name of Jesus, like this, just shut up. And just see what they say. One percent of the time, I have, I have heard, you know what, I'm good, I'm okay. We're okay, thank you. 99% of the time, Wow. Um, yeah. And a few different times, tears have begun to trickle down a server's face. I, can, I could tell you names right now. Because I believe that God, since, he, since, since we love to eat out, God just must mean I'm going to be the pastor of the waiters and waitresses in this city. Bless God. 
that they may never come to Timber Creek because they're having a sling fried chicken at Cracker Barrel this morning, but I'm going to pastor them while they're serving me pancakes. Our deacon team goes every first Tuesday, most every first Tuesday of the month at 630 to Cracker Barrel. It's like a ghost town in there during that, not because it's bad. It's just like, it's like for the taking. So if you need a 630 place, go. And I, 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 we had taken a couple months off. And the last time we went, we sat around the round table right there. Margie comes in, comes in and says, oh, oh, you guys are back. You're my favorite table. I, I always look forward when you guys have because you are so nice. You're so kind. Like, don't pray over the meal if you're not going to tip. And if you're a jerk, don't be saying you're from Timber Creek. Say you're from wherever, first, whatever. You think I'm kidding. Like, don't tell them you're from here. Don't be a jerk and say you're from Timber Creek. Give a great tip. You ought to be given 20% plus if you're ever going to pray for somebody. Easy. Don't you be given no 15% and a prayer, bless God. And don't you ever put a track down on the table without a great tip. I mean, well, I just, just go home. Eat some tacos. I'm finishing, I promise. Here we go. Be encouraged. Who can you just say, hey, thinking about you. Text them. Text them before you leave the campus of Lufkin today. Uh, talk to them in your cell. Is there somebody, hey, I, I was thinking about you tonight there at Duncan. Anything I could be praying with you or your family about? You guys have families? You guys got kids outside? You got a wife? I, I know that some of you, you, you got families that are struggling. You got a relative that's, with, that's got cancer, and you can't go and put your hands on them. And you wish you could, and you're there in prison because of other circumstances, and you wish you could just be there in the presence. I want you to know that we're going to be praying for your family outside of there, and you can be, make a difference by just inviting prayer and speaking prayers, and not only of your family, Duncan and Dieball, but those in your cell block. You can make a difference. So when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go of the anchors and they left them in the sea. They cut the anchors down. They said, let's go, boys. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes and they hoisted the mainsail. It was all hands on deck. They put the mainsail to the wind and they made for shore like a bullet. And they were fueled by Euroclidon. But here's what, like, you know it just can't get better yet. Striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground. And the prow stuck fast, the, the front of the boat. And it remained immovable. And the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. So the waves were crashing so hard in that the back of their boat was like a wood chipper. Up against those, those, those waves were like a wood chipper up against the back of the boat. And it was just splintering this boat. And the soldiers' plan, because people started going, bye! Prisoners, you know, helping out. You know, they're not in the cellar downstairs. They're not in the cells is to see the soldiers were going to just kill the prisoners lest they should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, I love it, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship, and so it was, they all escaped. Can you swim? I can doggy paddle. Jump. Can you swim? I can't swim. Grab this door and go. And they all all 270 plus passengers, they made it safely to land. That's all of Acts 27. Now let me finish up the story by showing you the beginning of Acts 28. When they had escaped, 
they then found out that the island was called Malta. Guess what Malta means? Refuge. I love, I love the way God works. He saved the island of refuge for them. And the natives showed us there on the, the, the indigenous people there showed us unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold there in hurricane season. And whoa, it just seems like things are starting to warm up and they're, they're bundled and they've got the fire and they're singing kumbaya. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. The dude can't get a break. He's like, oh, let me get some fire for you. I want to help. I want to model unusual servanthood. And he's like shaking the sucker. I love this next scripture. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, hey, hey, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped the sea, justice does not allow him to live. People are going to think things about you. They're going to comment stuff about you on Facebook. They don't know you. Do not get sucked into the majority opinion that people have about you at your work. You just keep living for Jesus. You just keep trusting God. You just keep dealing with what you're dealing with. And when the, when the critics want to talk smack about the viper hanging off your hand, you're just going to have to keep on trusting that God's got you in the middle of this. Paul shook off the creature into the fire. I love that he didn't like let it go and run it loose. Killed that sucker. Into the fire. Back where you go, devil. No, I can preach right now. I would be taking it out of context, but I could preach about the snake in the garden. Anyway. Shook off the creature in the fire. You may not get anything out of this, but I, I'm having a good time. It's my last Sunday at 39, baby. I'm, a, I'm, I'm having a good old time. All right. <laughs> Finish. Now, he threw it in the fire. They were expecting that he would swell up and suddenly fall down dead. I love it. They're just watching him. Do you think he's getting bigger? Do you think his lips are puffing up? I bet he's going to die any minute now. Oh, is he coughing? Oh, no, he's just, he's just choking on salmon. No, he's, oh, he's okay. I don't know what's going to happen. They're, the natives are watching him swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked after a long time and saw no harm came to him, isn't it amazing how culture shifts so fast? Now they change their minds and they said, oh, he's a god. So at first they're saying he's a murderer. Now they're saying he's a god. Do yourself a favor and don't live your life based on public opinion. <laughs> Do yourself a favor. Live your life based on the word of God as the moral compass for every decision you make. I got just a couple minutes. Let me give you the titanic takeaways. I'll give them to you in, in less than eight minutes. Here they are. Number one, leadership is not a title. It's a lifestyle. It was not the apostle Paul that was on that ship. It was prisoner number 654231. That's who he was. He was just another prisoner. But his leadership was not based on his position. His leadership was based on his lifestyle. Look, you keep waiting for the promotion to be the leader. It's time to be the leader. You ought to be leading up, leading down, leading all around. And it not, on a, it not ought to be based on the, the pay or based on the promotion or based on the title. The title is the smallest indicator of leadership. The smallest what makes a leader a leader is the way they truly influence others. Be a leader in your home, dad. 
Be a leader in your home, mom. Teenagers, a couple of weeks until school starts back off. You be a leader. You don't got to be in student council to be a leader. You don't got to be the best or you don't got to be the brightest. But what you do have to do is burn bright. What you do have to do is use your influence. When other people are saying the things they shouldn't say, when other people are posting the stuff they shouldn't post, you can be the kind of leader that stands firm, stands strong, that influences people right where you are by being consistent and loving Jesus and having a story about what Jesus has done in your life. Do not bow to the pressure that this world wants you to conform to everything. You can be a leader, students. I believe in the next generation. This church believes that we want more for the next generation. That you, we, we are not losing the, the millennials or Generation Y, but we are getting set up for a new day. You don't let this culture brush you, paint you with a broad stroke that the millennials won't do this or Generation Y or they're always like this. I mean, yeah, stop running into traffic walk, walking on your phone, but it's not just you. Your mom's been doing it too. I know. But I believe, teenagers, you have, there is greatness in you. There is greatness in you. Take it on. Be a life, have a lifestyle of leadership. You know, Paul's in a crisis, but crisis doesn't make a person. It does show what a person is made of. And you, you in the middle of a crisis, you can show you what your people what you're made of. Number two, God invites you beyond your should have and into the but now. Do you remember that scripture? Paul stands up and says, you should have listened to me. You should have, but now I've got good news. But now God's got another plan. David should have never slept with Bathsheba. David, a man after God's own heart, should have never been at the palace during that season. But when all the other kings were at war, he hung out on the palace atrium running on his treadmill and he was hanging looking over the city and he saw mm, foxy lady bathing in the sunlight, bathing in the moonlight and said, I got to have me some Bathsheba. Total, total wreck situation. Nathan the prophet comes to his door, knocks on his door after Bathsheba's moved in after he's killed her husband Give me some music. I got I to gotta be Academy Awards today, so we're going to have to play me off the, off the thing. But just give me some music, Carly. It'll help me preach better. <laughs> Nathan comes in and says, there was a rich man that had all the lambs and a poor man that had one lamb. And this traveler came in and the rich man took the poor man's lamb and killed the lamb so they could have supper. And David jumps up furious and says, oh, that uh, uh, kill the guy and, and, and Nathan says you're that man you have all these wives you've got all this freedom and you took Uriah's little lamb what, what David what could have David done in that moment he could have said to Nathan don't you talk to the king like that off with his head he could have taken a, a sling and put a stone in it and hit, hit Nathan right through this, right in the center of the forehead he could have denied the whole thing. He could have said, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. <laughs> oh, God, help me. But here's what he did say. You're right. You're right. And he had consequences. He should have never done it. But now... We still know, but now we still know David as a man 
after God's own heart. And you know what's crazy about this? Bathsheba has a son named Solomon. Solomon takes the throne. And do you know that in the lineage of Jesus, written in the book of Matthew, that it's through Bathsheba and Solomon that actually Jesus is a relative. A marriage and a son that never should have taken place. God turned that moment to a but now moment. Some of you are in some should have moments. God can take it and turn it into a but now. But now it's time. Should have done better on that first marriage, but now it's time to surrender. Should have done better in that situation. Should have, should have had better control. Should have, should have talked to somebody earlier about it, but now it's time to get, it's time to get freedom. That's why we do what we do around here. In a couple of weeks, we're launching groups. We're, we're launching Encounter. We're, 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 we've got starting point going right now, uh, every Sunday morning. It's time, but now, but now. You should have done it, but now it's time. We want to help you lock in to what God has for you next. Number three, if you can, you can stay up even if the ship goes down. Your stuff doesn't determine who you are. People that hang on to the stuff, hang on to the boat, hang on to the tackle, they, when they lose it, they feel like they've lost everything. You can stay strong even when the ship goes down, even when you lose everything, because Jesus is your anchor. Number four, your presence can bring storms to people or bring people through storms. Guess what happened my, my second week of preaching summer cruise? Jonah disobeyed God, and he brought storms to the sailors. Paul obeyed God and brought the sailors through the storm. Your life is an ocean of all kinds of ups and downs and storms. And when you walk into the room, are you bringing a Euroclidon or are you bringing peace? You can bring people through storms. Don't be bringing people, don't bring, bring storms to people. Surrender that to Jesus. And finally, when you're bit building a fire, you got to shake it off and burn brighter. You're going to be bit doing the right thing. You're going to be bit trusting the Lord. You're going to have a tough time where the snake <laughs> attacks in the middle of good stuff. you got to shake that off and trust greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. But guess what? You can't get any of that. You, you, can't, you can't experience any of that unless you know who Jesus is. And if you're here today, I want you to know, Jesus went through the proverbial storm of humanity to save you. Lean into him today. Paul made it off of Malta. He made it into Rome. He made it into front of Caesar. He was also imprisoned again. And there in Rome, he wrote the book of Philippians, all about joy. Can I give you the last scripture for Paul? In Philippians 4, Paul says, hey, all God's people here send you greetings. He's finishing his letter in Philippians, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Guess what happened? Guess what happened? He may not have led Caesar to the Lord, but God gave him an audience with Caesar's house. And there was some bakers and there was some gardeners and there was some landscapers and there may have been some sons or some daughters or even some wives. Caesar's household found Jesus. God was faithful. Would you close your eyes with me today? 
You thought you came for a backpack, but you're actually about ready to give up your burden that you've been carrying because you've been carrying some stuff and it's time to give it over to Jesus. He wants to lift your burden. He wants to take your heart and make it new. You thought you were coming for a backpack, but you're actually, you're here because this is a divine appointment for Jesus to meet you where you are and to save you. If that is you and you say, I need to surrender to Jesus today, put a hand up in the air right now. I wanna pray with you. Hands all over the room. Anybody else, go quick. I want to pray with you. Not going to embarrass you. Not going to point you out. Yeah, you can put your hands down. In your own words, you can pray this prayer. Jesus, thank you for not abandoning me. I give my life to you. The stuff that separates me from you, I don't want it in the way anymore. Would you take it away? I want to have you in the center of my life. I don't have all the answers. I want to lean into you. I give you my life today. Be my Lord and be my Savior. Save me and, and help me, Jesus, because I don't want to do this storm or I don't want to do life without you. I don't want to just let my life drive. I want you to be my guide. In Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed. You're here and you're going through a storm and you just need the reassurance that Jesus is there with you and that's just what you're praying today. If that's you, would you put a hand in the air? Yeah. Oh, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you're faithful in the storm, that you're an anchor in the storm. You're not the wind in the storm that gets us out of the storm. You're actually an anchor that holds us steady in the middle of the storm. So when the storm passes, we know you kept us safe. And I pray that your spirit would be with them. The hands raised, the families represented, that you would show them you are faithful in this storm. Through a hardship, through their shipwreck, you are faithful. And now, Father, we say thank you. Would you just say thank you to him? Thank you that you've never let us down. Thank you that you've yet to fail us. Thank you that you are faithful. Thank you that your promises, when you visit us and say, we're going to make it through, that we can take it to the bank, we can bet everything on it. You are faithful to do what you said you would do, to be who you said you would be, for us to go where you said we should go, to heal what you said you would heal, to give hope where you said there will be hope in the hopeless moment. We trust you and we say thank you for visiting us today. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and all God's people said amen.